0: Welcome back to the evidence-based rheumatology podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 35, the association of tramadol with all-cause mortality among patients with osteoarthritis. Now, I decided to talk about this article this week because it's part of the Rheumatology Journal Club. I highly, highly, highly recommend that anyone who listens to this podcast also follow hashtag RoomJC and tune into the Journal Club. I think it's a phenomenal thing to do, It's fun getting to network with people, and they talk about really interesting articles, which is why I decided to talk about this one today. So tramadol is kind of a popular opioid. It's viewed as a non-opioid kind of opioid, and so people think that they can get the opioid benefits without getting the side effects. More specifically, it's a very weak opioid antagonist, but then it has active metabolites that have more significant downstream effects. It's also an SNRI. So it has this complicated mechanism that I'm not sure we're all aware of. There's a great post that came up in the Rheumatology Journal Club tonight by David Jerlich that I highly recommend everyone read. It's entitled Toxin Hound, Don't, and in it he describes Tramadol as what would happen if Coding and Prozac had a baby and that baby grew into a sullen, unpredictable teenager who wore only black and sometimes kicked puppies and set fires. I think that's a little bit hyperbolic, but at the same time, I kind of agree with him. I have avoided this drug for quite a long time because I've had some bad experiences with it and never really bought all the hype. That also leads into my first disclosure, which is that heading into this, I was not a tramadol believer. Afterwards, I am also not a tramadol believer, but I don't think this paper is strong enough to do anything more than confirm the bias I already had. With that, let's get into it. This paper is yet another large epidemiologic study published in JAMA, just like last week. These are great fun. Just like last week's podcast, this is a very well-done study, but not one that I think overcomes the underlying problem with this sort of epidemiology. This was based on the Health Improvement Network, THIN, which is what I'm going to call it from now on. It's an electronic medical record database. Woof already off to a bad start i never trust emr databases for anyone who has put anything into electronic medical records such as icd-10 codes or diagnosis codes or just charted in general you know how unreliable this is now it contains health information on a lot of people 11 million patients from 580 general practices in the united kingdom that's exciting but if you remember last week My rule about epidemiologic studies is that it's not the size of the study, it's the size of the effect. The fact that you have a large study in no way attenuates the bias of the study itself. Rather, it allows you to show a very small effect that will become statistically significant because you have so many participants, but may just be an accurate measure of the bias of the methodology or the question you're asking itself. Now, this thin database is actually a pretty good one. It includes information about sociodemographics, anthropometrics, lifestyle factors, D- GP visits, diagnoses, etc. Lots of good comorbidities and confounders. Elegant participants had to be 50 or older, they had to have a history of osteoarthritis, and people with a history of cancer or opioid use disorder were excluded. As with last week, these authors did a number of good things. So the first is that they used propensity score matching to match the patients in the cohort. How is this good? Well, the main problem with this study is that the people who received tramadol are likely different from the people who did not receive tramadol. You worry that maybe the doctor looked at them and said, "You look kind of sick or you have kidney disease or you're on the older side, so I'm going to avoid a medicine such as an NSAID or a different kind of narcotic." Why is that a problem? Well, If a doctor avoided prescribing tramadol because of some factor that was not related to tramadol and puts you at a higher risk of mortality, that's what we call a confounder, and particularly confounding by indication. We're prescribing tramadol not only because it's a pain medicine, but also because it's a pain medicine we think is safe in people who are more likely to die because they're sicker. The problem with that is that those patients are more likely to die, and then they go on to die at a higher rate than the people we did not prescribe tramadol to. We'll talk about this more, but this is the fundamental problem with this paper. To get around this, they matched people who received tramadol to someone who did not receive tramadol. In this case, these are patients who got naproxen, diclofenac, celecoxib, etoricoxib, or codeine. Not sure who's giving codeine for pain. That's a weird choice. So what were the confounders that they had to control for? they had quite a lot. It's an impressive list. They had age, they had sex, they had this thing called the Townsend Deprivation Index, the body mass index, drinking habits, smoking habits, duration of OA, comorbidities, prescriptions prior to the index date, healthcare utilization the two years before the date. These are all very good confounders, and this is a strength of the study in that if they hadn't been able to control for those issues, this never would have made it into JAMA. But they could, and so theoretically they can limit the degree of confounding. Now, patients were excluded from the analysis if they had missing values for BMI, drinking, smoking, or the deprivation index, which is good. And the authors performed six sensitivity analyses to assess the robustness of their findings. I talked about this last week, but this is a good thing to do. When you're doing this kind of study, you want to ask yourself what if things were a little bit different? In this case, they did a number of different ways that were very reasonable to try and control for those issues. Kudos to the authors for trying to do a good job of this paper. Finally, what was their outcome? They used all-cause mortality. I love all-cause mortality. It's a thing that people care about. In this paper, it actually wound up working against them to some degree. They found mortality from everything, which again, to me, more reflects confounding than it does an actual effect of tramadol. Now, like I said, this is a large database. They wound up having 88,902 patients. This is an enormous study. Don't be excited about that. That's just a sign that they can find very small effects and essentially do a great job of measuring the underlying bias of the question they're asking. What's another sign that there may be bias? Well, participants in the tramadol cohort in general were older. They had a higher BMI. They had a longer duration of OA. They had a higher prevalence of comorbidities. They, had, they were taking more different prescriptions, and they had higher healthcare utilization than those who received NSAIDs. This is a very important point. The patients who got tramadol were just a different kind of patient than the people who didn't. Again, propensity score matching to control for that, but you can never really squeeze out all of the confounding. They did a good job. After matching, the characteristics between the two matched cohorts were similar, and so theoretically we have two groups of people who are the same. Mortality was higher in the tramadol cohort than in the naproxen cohort. Back to my axiom, it's not the size of the study, it's the size of the effect. What was the effect size? Mortality was higher in the tramadol cohort than in the naproxen cohort. How much higher? Now in the tramadol group, there are 23.5 deaths per 1,000 person-years. To put that a little clearer, if you treated 100 people with tramadol for one year, you would expect 2.35 people to die. We can't look at that in isolation because if you were to treat 100 people for one year with naproxen in this study, 1.38 people would die. Now, what was causing all these deaths? Well, mortality from cardiovascular, GI, infection, cancer, and respiratory diseases were all higher, but none of them were statistically significantly different. Why does this matter? Well, it's hard because we can't say why people were more likely to die from tramadol. It doesn't really make sense that tramadol would cause death in a variety of different ways. You would imagine that tramadol would cause death in one specific way. Perhaps people who overdosed were more likely to have respiratory depression, and in that case, they were more likely to have cardiopulmonary or respiratory de- disease. Maybe tramadol is more likely to cause an overdose, resulting in some sort of side effects, such as renal failure. We didn't see this here. We saw death overall from a variety of causes. Do you know what would do that? is if the people who were getting tramadol were the people who a physician evaluated and said, I don't feel comfortable giving you an NSAID, so why don't I give you this safe drug named tramadol? I don't think this strongly suggests it, but I do think that this pushes me more towards feeling like the effect size here is related to some combination of confounding by indication and unmeasured confounding. Now, the authors readily acknowledge this. They say, look, the biologic mechanisms linking tramadol to mortality are unclear. In their defense, I really don't believe in this biological mechanisms thing. The history of medicine is littered with bioplausibility. Back in the day, when we had patients with heart failure, we thought it would be a great idea to give them beta agonists. Unfortunately, it looks like that may accelerate death and certainly doesn't seem to prolong life. Instead, we actually do the opposite and give them beta blockers. This story has been repeated again and again. This story has been repeated ad nauseum. For every time we have a drug that we think will work, there's always a physiologic reason that we think it would be effective. If we find that the opposite is true, we invent a different physiologic reason for it to happen. I never put too much stock in these kinds of explanations. In this case, it would be nice to have one. The authors point to a couple possibilities. Tramadol activates the mu-opioid receptors and inhibits central serotonin neuroephenary uptake. So maybe this is some sort of bizarre neurologic effect that we get. Perhaps people are overdosing on tramadol. Perhaps, as we have seen in other cohorts, tramadol is increasing the risk of hypoglycemia, which is resulting in more mortality. We just don't know. Even though this was an enormous study, it wasn't capable of picking up on a difference in cause-specific mortality. There are a number of other limitations that the authors helpfully highlighted. In particular, 16 to 30% of causes of death could not be ascertained. Another is that they found a higher cancer-related mortality in the tramadol cohort than in the NSAIDs cohorts. That is a big, big problem. This points to the possibility of some sort of confounding by indication where we're giving tramadol to patients who are sicker. Perhaps we're giving tramadol to patients who have a lot of undifferentiated pain, which is a reflection of their underlying cancer, which is why they actually wound up having a higher rate of mortality. When you have something that affects the outcome and the exposure, That's a confounder if you can't control for it, and they couldn't control for cancer-related mortality because this was undiagnosed cancer. Finally, as I mentioned a long time ago, there were just so many differences between the people who got tramadol and didn't get tramadol that there's a high chance that they weren't able to account for everything. They did a really good job. They did propensity score managing. They had a lot of variables and confounders that they could adjust for. But at the end of the day, I always think about what I call the squint test. Where a doctor looks at a patient and says, you're someone I'm nervous about, and I'm not going to give you ibuprofen because I'm worried that you'll have some sort of ulcer and bleed, or you'll have some sort of kidney damage from it. We can't control for that. There's no variable that says the doctor looked at you and felt nervous about it and so gave you tramadol. At the end of the day, I think that that issue fatally flaws this paper. Is this paper going to change my practice? Not really. I already avoid tramadol, it's not a drug that I like to prescribe, and most of our patients respond to anti-inflammatory drugs, so I really don't give very many narcotics as a general practice. To be totally fair, though, I don't think this paper provides convincing evidence for that practice. I suspect that all of the confounding and biases related to this study are what's actually driving this mortality difference, and so if I need to give someone tramadol, I would still be comfortable doing it. Though like I said, it's not a problem I have very often. Before I leave, let me throw one last plug for Rheumatology Journal Club. Hashtag RoomJC. Great group of people, and you'll get to hear them talk about articles like this. I'd also like to give one more plug for my own Twitter account. I'm at ebroom. Please tweet me if you have any feedback on this episode or any other papers you'd like me to discuss. Thank you again for listening, and have a great week.